Genesis, the third chapter. We're going to get there here in a moment, but we're talking about experiencing God and when doubts arise is my subject matter tonight. And Lord, we just thank you for the teaching of your word. We're so grateful, so grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. So when doubts arise, we all have to deal with doubts that arise in our lives without exception. There's four categories of doubts that I want to bring to your attention. I don't think this is an extensive list, but it's something that I find to be a pattern in Scripture, and it's really what we're going to build off. This is our foundation that we're going to go forward from tonight. There are doubts that arise as a result of the devil's lies. There are doubts that arise over time when we wonder if God, if what God said he will do. There's doubts that arise from past or difficult experiences that we've encountered in life. There's doubts that arise because we question God's call to use us for his glory. The danger of doubt is double-mindedness, a lack of confidence, halting between two opinions. It paralyzes our faith and really blocks us from going forward and trusting in the Lord. Doubts that arise as the result of the devil's lies. Genesis chapter 3. This is the first way that doubts enter into our minds. Doubts that arise as a result of the devil's lies. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. There is deception that came from the serpent and that entered into the mind of Eve and caused her to doubt. Uh, And that happens with us also. The other example that I want to bring pertaining to this kind of doubt, is found when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. The enemy endeavored to get him to doubt, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, were the first two accusations and questions that the devil presented to Jesus. And then the third was, since you are the Son of God, if you'll do this. And that is still a trick of the enemy today, and he's very cunning and crafty. As a matter of fact, Genesis said he's more cunning than any beast of the field. So while we are not to be afraid of our enemy because we have a Savior who is greater, we cannot be ignorant of his devices. He is very good at spinning the truth. But when he's done spinning with it, it's not the truth anymore. It's a lie. And that lie, if we act upon it and believe it, creates doubt. He's trying to get us to doubt. All right, the number two way that doubts enter into our mind is over time. Is over time. Genesis chapter 17. And time is an interesting aspect in our life because it's, it's really how we measure so many parts of our life and so many seasons of our life and situations in life. Sometimes it's even how we try to filter or interpret if God is active in our life, if he's not active in our life. Have you ever found yourself making the statement, I remember the time. Remember the time? 
And that time is something that, you know, spoke of an experience that you had with God, an encounter that you had with God that potentially you long to have again, but it seems like a lot of sand has gone through the hourglass and you wonder if that time will ever happen again. So we come into this account now with Abraham and God had given him a promise as a man of 75 years of age. And Abram and the Lord begin to have a conversation in regards to the promise that he was going to be a father of a nation. And from that nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And at that time, uh, Abram and Sarai didn't have a family. They didn't have any offspring, any children. And so we'll pick up this account in Genesis chapter 17 in the 15th verse. It says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall begot twelve princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. Shall Sarah, <clears throat> excuse me, Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Now, Sarah was not present during this conversation, but in the 18th chapter, the Lord continues to have an ongoing dialogue uh, with Abraham, and we'll pick up in the 10th verse, and Sarah is now present. She's not in the room, but she's behind the curtain. We would say she is just in the other area of, of their tent. And he said, talking about the Lord, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. If you have not circled the phrase time of life in your Bible, I highly encourage you, to circle that phrase because God's time and man's time are not always the same. But according to God's timetable, according to his will, according to his plan and purpose, what he said will come to pass. But in the midst of that, we sometimes doubts arise. Have doubts ever arisen to you holding on to a promise? And you thought the time should have come by now where the promise came to fruition? So you can identify with this. And here it is in verse 11. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Why did God wait? Why did God wait for her to pass the age of childbearing? Couldn't he have done it when they were much younger, fruitful, vibrant, had more energy, vim and vinegar? It just doesn't, sometimes God's ways are just not our ways. They don't make sense to us. Why didn't you do it before? Why didn't you do it earlier? It seems like God's timing sometimes is off. If you think about it from a natural or a logical perspective, we say in our culture, one of the reasons that God gives children to young people is they have the energy, the vision, 
and 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 uh, you know for them. And one of the reasons he gives grandchildren to people is because they only have those children for a short amount of time, because they don't have as much vim and vinegar and energy, and so they give them back to their parents when they're done having dinner with them or having a camp out or something. So it wouldn't seem like God is, you know, not doing Abraham and Sarah a favor by stretching this thing out. Seems like it would have been better and it would have been better for them. Maybe even would have helped God's reputation to a degree. If the timing would have happened earlier, they could have had an earlier celebration and they could have had a testimony earlier in their life. But God's time and our time is not always the same. And we have to be really careful here that that we don't get accusational when it comes to the Lord's timing. That we don't find fault with the Lord. That we don't become resentful. And that's a task I think all of us understand. And while we stand in faith and we believe in faith, there is a time element with faith. In verse 12, therefore Sarah laughed within herself. This is, a, this is a laughing, this is a happy couple. Abraham was laughing. He fell on the floor, Scripture said. He actually rolled around and laughed. To him, what God said was just absolutely hilarious. And his wife, his wife, she joined right in. It went from a solo to a duet. At first it was just Abraham, then Sarah joined in, and it went from ones to twos. So they're both think this is absolutely the most preposterous, erroneous possibility that they could ever, ever encounter. It's impossible. We haven't had an intimate moment in years. The estrogen and testosterone levels are gone. And time they felt, had slipped through the hourglass and it wasn't going to happen. Impossibility. And notice in verse 13, Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child, since I am old? Now this is another fun caveat to this. Apparently Abraham didn't hear his wife laughing. Maybe he had lost his hearing. He's so old he couldn't hear her laugh anymore. She's just behind the fold of the tent. And the Lord said, What's up with your wife? Why is she laughing? Abraham probably said, what? Could you say that again? Who's laughing? (laughs) And so this really is somewhat of an interesting conversation that's going on between the Lord and between Abraham. If you sort of take the rose-colored glasses off and you sort of looked at it through the lens of the times and the seasons of life, it looks like this thing is just really out of whack. And maybe you felt that way sometimes. This is really, if God does something now, it'll be a miracle. It'll surprise me. Oh, I doubt if he'll do anything now. He would have done it by now if he ever was going to do it. If he ever is going to restore or heal or bring restoration to a relationship or to, there was ever an opportunity for me to be promoted. Should have happened in my 30s and 40s. I'm getting ready to walk through the door of retirement. I'm in my 60s. Well, life isn't over at 62 or 65 or 67. 
you have so much experience and you have so much to offer and please don't set the sail for the sunset because the sun's not setting yet. Unless you let it. If you feel like time, the best of your time, the most quality of your time is gone, you've given your best years and now all you have left is vapors, a puff of smoke, and I'll be out of here. You might require a little bit more rest and recovery on the road of life, but you're still alive. You're not dead. And somehow you cannot allow doubt to sneak in because time has passed. We're past the time of this. Oh, you know, when we were young, we could have done that, but we can't do that anymore. Time has taken care of that. Has a way of catching up with all of us, you know, Pastor Doug. One of these days it'll catch up with you. I imagine and believe that that is true, but it doesn't have to infect my mind to where I doubt God. Doesn't have to impact me to where I don't believe that life is worth living or that my life still has a purpose or that there's still a plan that I'm walking out all the days of my life. And that... The latter part of my life, that I can still have clear vision, I can still have strong hands, and I can still contribute and help some way in God's world to glorify Him. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Number three reason that doubts arise in all of our lives and we have to deal with them is doubts that arise because we question. No, doubts that arise from difficult experiences in life. Doubts that arise because of difficult experiences that we have in life. If you would turn with me to Matthew's gospel chapter 11. So the first way that sometimes doubts arise is because the devil's the devil and the devil's devilish and cunning and crafty and spins and twists things and perverts things. And if we're not careful, we'll doubt. We'll doubt God. We'll doubt his word. Secondly is you got to be careful of the timing issue. And you have to stay open and receptive that the Lord's not done. That the Lord's not done. And since he addressed Abraham and Sarah in this way, I take confidence that he also will help me in those moments where I'm struggling because of my senses or what I see or what I perceive or the way that I interpret time. Matthew chapter 11, number three, doubts that arise from difficult experiences in life. Let's pick up in the first verse, reading down through the sixth verse. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. I could stop there for a minute and just really meddle. Jesus does not give suggestions. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus, they are commandments. And those commandments are meant to be kept by those that are his disciples. That's how People identify us as disciples of Christ is because we keep his commandments. 
And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who was not offended because of me. John was in a very challenging place uh, physically and I would say relationally, emotionally. You know, he was isolated. Um, his ministry was stripped from him. He was a... He was a prophet that was respected uh, among the nation of Israel. Uh, Multitudes of people used to show up at his meetings and uh, desire his counsel and listen to uh, the messages that God put in his heart. Uh, Multitudes from all walks of life came and were baptized. Jesus was baptized by John. Uh, They were cousins. They identified one another and affirmed one another's ministry many times publicly. But now, because of a a really hard place and a difficult experience, doubts have entered into the mind of John. But John did something that was very wise. He asked his disciples, those that he had trained and invested in, those that he had poured his life into, to do him a favor and go find Jesus and to affirm and to make sure that he identified the correct man is the Messiah. And upon the disciples, John's disciples, approaching Jesus, he said, go tell John. Go tell John. Go tell John he got it right. But tough experiences in life can lead us to doubt. Why God, why? When God, when? And... John dealt with that. He was rolling in his mind in isolation. And it could come out something like this. If that was the Messiah and I got it right and he got it right, why isn't he here to get me out of this situation? Why is he leaving me here in prison? The only time that John would leave prison from this day forward was on the night that he was beheaded. So he sat in that cell, but he no doubt was comforted by the words of Christ. And it potentially eased the burden in his mind and eliminated the doubts. Hard places are hard places. They're not easy places. We don't call them easy places. Call them challenging places. Difficult times. And in difficult times, doubts begin to roll around in our brain. I'm not saying it's the devil. I'm just saying we have the the ability to fabricate stories in our own mind and to exaggerate stories and embellish things. And, And pretty soon, if we're not careful, we just get into a very, very unhealthy place in our thinking. And that's what doubt does. So when doubts arise... Number four, doubts can arise because we question God's call to use us for his glory. Exodus chapter three, go back to the New Testament. And as a point of remembrance, it would just sure help this country preacher a little bit if 
I could get a little feedback from y'all tonight. Is that okay? Is there anyone so far that has had their photograph taken in the first three? Been deceived by the enemy, twisted, perverted things, made things say or come out in a way that God never said that or God's intention was never that or the timing piece through your curveball or a hard experience caused you to wonder where is God? Doesn't he know what I'm going through? Doesn't he know that I've always served him? I've always stood up for him. I've always believed in him. Uh, and, and here I am. Where is he when I need him? I was always there for God. I was always a faithful witness. And now where is he when my hour of need has come? None of you have ever felt that way. Four honest saints in the house of God. Number four, doubts that arise because we question God's call to use us for his glory. Exodus chapter three and verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Of course, this is a conversation between the Lord and Moses. We're reading down through the 13th verse initially. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name and what shall I say? And so the Lord identified his name and told him what to say and what to do. But in chapter four and verse one, the conversation continues. And Moses answered the Lord after he had instructed him. But suppose, just suppose, Lord, just let's imagine something here together for a moment. Would you allow me a moment to give you a thought to ponder, to consider, Lord, I know that you know all things and all powerful and ever present. But just suppose. I know what you've told me, but, you know, what if it doesn't happen that way? I mean, why'd you come knock on my door? I, I really don't want to go talk to Pharaoh. And I doubt that he's going to listen anyway. No matter what happens, nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. I, I'm, I've been a fugitive for 40 years. Who am I that you'd come knock on my door at this time in my life? Why didn't you just leave me with Jethro? It was, we had a good gig going. I mean, we were in the sheep raising business. Had some kids and because the gifts and the callings of God are not our selection. They're his selection. You didn't create yourself or make yourself and you didn't gift or grace yourself. God did. And the moment that we start looking to him as the one that gives us every good and perfect gift, then we quit despising the gift that he gave us or comparing it with gifts that he gave other people. And we start getting our gift activated. So he said, suppose, suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose, God, you got it wrong. <laughs> I know, I know you've never gotten it wrong before, but maybe this time, maybe this time, just consider that 
there's someone more qualified, someone more anointed, someone more educated, someone, you know, more influential than I am. Has it, no one's ever thought that in your mind, have you? You know what that's called? Doubt. Not only you're doubting God's selection, you're doubting his ability to use you. What's the result of it? It could be the result of a lot of things. But nonetheless, the Lord is more relentless than we are. So if you think you're going to have more patience or you're going to weigh, I'm going to just wait God out. I'm going to wear God out. I mean, surely, surely, you know, he's going to get the message from me at some point in time. God's going to understand. I mean business. (laughs) How do you like that one? I mean, he ought to know by now. I haven't done it yet. So what makes him think I'm going to do it now? You have picked a fight with the wrong person. He is more persistent than we are. Let me remind you that he doesn't need an alarm clock. He never sleeps. So when you're sleeping, you think that you've like taken a break from life. You know God works on you while you sleep and sometimes you don't know it till you wake up and you think, Lord, even when my sleep, you start talking to me. That's what dreams are about and visions are about. It's because sometimes we don't listen to him or cooperate with him. Maybe the second part is more accurate. We might listen, but then we say, suppose, suppose they ain't going to listen to me, Lord. And the Lord appeared to him. And the Lord appeared to him. And he had an experience with God. In verse 10, Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before uh, nor since you have spoken to your servant. But since you have spoken to your servant, uh, let me remind you, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes you mute, the deaf, the seen, the blind, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you, what you shall say. And he said, O oh my Lord, please sin by the hand of whomever else you may sin. So they, they continue this battering on for a while, but we know eventually Moses goes and the Lord is faithful and the Lord reveals himself to Pharaoh and delivers his people and Moses becomes a much healthier and a much better leader than what he ever would imagine. But these first few conversations between the Lord and Moses are, are pretty typical when God asks any human being to do anything on behalf of his glory. Is that sometimes we just don't feel like we're quite ready, qualified, we don't know what to say, no one's going to listen to us. And even if we do go and there's miraculous things that happen, and their hearts are so hard and their heads are so stubborn no one's going to change their mind whatsoever. But God still says go. God still says I'll use you and I'll help you. So whether it's the enemy lying to us, us being frustrated because things don't happen in our own time, 
a difficult season that we wonder where God is and where where's our deliverance and where's our our affirmation or just the fact that, you know, maybe we just don't feel like we're worthy of being used by the Lord and someone else is much more qualified. All of those scenarios, can you see from Scripture, create and cause doubts to arise in any of our lives. But here's something that I want to finish with. So how do you deal with these doubts? I want to say something to you, and I mean this sincerely. I don't mean this in a degrading or belittling way. I don't, I don't say this because I think it's cute or trite or, or clever. I say it because it is the narrative of every one of these stories, all right? The only way that you and I can deal with, with doubt is when we deal with God right. Because God is the only one that can remove the doubts. If we could remove the doubts, we would have done it without God. We would have defeated the devil without God. We can't defeat the devil without God. Only the truth will set us free. And only God can reveal truth. We can't comprehend time without the help of God. So without God, you will and I will misinterpret every season of our life and every situation. And if we're not careful, doubts will drive us away from God. The only way that you and I can deal with doubt is when we deal with God and allow God to deal with us. You can't deal with doubt. I'm not here to give you five steps or six steps. Without God in your life, you and I will be given to cynicism, pessimistic attitudes, and doubt. Because we live in a fallen world where the devil is active. Because time is an issue with us. And if you don't believe it, go to a fast food restaurant, wait ten minutes, and the first thing out of the customer's mouth is, what's so fast about this? In California, when Keenan and I went to see Tyron and Pastor Steve, um, we got into uh, the West Coast late and drove up the coast an hour. And so the only thing that's open is McDonald's. And Julian, who is Keenan's son, loves McDonald's. As a matter of fact, we won't go there, but he loves McDonald's. He's got stock in McDonald's. <clears throat> So we go and we place an order. It's 11 o'clock at night. So you have the night crew. And uh, we wait for 20 minutes in a parking stall outside of McDonald's. And when we got our food, I dropped Keenan and Julian off at the hotel. And I drove up the road where I was staying five miles up the road. And um, so when I got there, I opened up the sandwich and have you ever, ever taken a bun off of a chicken sandwich and the chicken sandwich goes, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It's the driest piece of chicken that I've ever had. It had to be under the heat lamp for Lord only knows since 8 o'clock at night. And here it is. It's the lone bird left. And so the French fries, the French fries were so painfully dry and crispy, they were like potato chips. So I took a bite, one bite, ate a couple 
of french fries and threw everything away. The next morning, Julian's first question to me is, Pastor Doug? I said, yeah, Julian. He said, that was the worst McDonald's I ever had. Was yours bad? I said, oh, Julian, do we have to go there? He said, I threw mine away. I said, I threw mine away too. You're a smart boy. Ten-year-old, you're a smart boy. He said, I hate McDonald's in California. It's good in Michigan. But my whole point is, time is that we're sitting there for 20 minutes. We're just absolutely ready for bed. And we're wondering, what in the world is taking them so long to bring me just a chicken sandwich? And then I get it, and it's like three days dead, pulled up twice from the roots. It's horrible. So time has a way of tricking us if we're not careful. If we're not careful, remember, your times are in his hands. It's a great prayer that the psalmist prayed. Oh, Lord, my time is in your hands. Help me not to live frustrated and and misinterpret what you're doing. Because while you're looking at the time, remember, God is looking at us. See how we're responding. One of my favorite uh, shows that is animated is uh, Monsters Incorporated. Always watching, always watching, always watching. God is always watching. Now it's that arise from difficult experiences in life and we need support and that's what John got. Without God, God answered John's questions. Do you understand that? Jesus is God. God answered John's questions. We don't, we will not deal with doubts apart from God. And the fourth is when we question our ability, God just talks about the possibility of doing something with him. Just imagine, Moses, you're going to go. You're going to stand in front of Pharaoh. No, 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 not me. Not me. Yeah, yeah, you. You're going to go. And, and I'm going to give you the, I'm not, I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to do. The answer to doubts is not to be strong, not to go get a self-help book. The answer is, I've got to allow God to come and visit with me about this. And I have to listen to him. Because God's not going to change his mind. That's what experiencing God is about. I need to experience God when I'm in the valley and I'm doubting. God, would you come and talk to me again? And he will. He'll tell me the truth. He'll help me with timing. He'll comfort me in my bad experience. He'll strengthen me to go forward and to do his will. God never asks you to do anything you can do apart from him. The reason we doubt is because it's bigger than we are. Moses knew the assignment was gigormous. Just a step in Pharaoh's courts could have been, that's the end. Bring in, bring in, you know, the executor. And it would have taken place. It took tremendous faith. And God stayed with him and God will stay with us. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, 
please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.